Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Pierce, thank you very much for joining me on the first episode of Scaling Your Business podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For those who are listening, Pierce is the founder and CEO of Equine MediRecord, and he's also Ireland's listed on Ireland's 30 under 30, a former pro North American rugby player representing the Ohio Aviators. And his business was recently listed in the business posts as one of the top 100 startups in Ireland. So uh, Pierce is well worth listening to over the next 45 minutes or so. Pierce, for today's show, the overarching theme of the podcast is obviously scaling your business. Uh, we've identified 13 kind of blind spots that uh, can uh, damage an otherwise healthy business. I want to dive into four of those today. Each of those blind spots breaks down into six categories. The four categories I'd like to dive into today with you are planning, positions, people, and process specifically spending a bit of time in people because I know prior to this recording we had a chat and one of the things you raised with me was Reen there's not 13 blind spots there's 14 and the 14th one being client retention so I'd love to spend a bit of time on that as well but jumping straight into the first one on planning the first question I have uh, and I'll say the question and then I'll back it up but what I'm hoping to get out of you is what is your personal vision and, and, and when I ask people that question the best way I can get them to put it is we break it down into three different things. So it's, we provide whatever you provide X to insert buyer persona so they can, and the results they can get. So for example, it could be like we provide uh, marketing services to SaaS based leaders so they can get more people to come to their events. So in your world, what's your personal vision? Yeah. So, um, Equine MediRecord, what it provides is a software platform to help trainers, vets, uh, and owners record all of the relevant information relating to anti-doping and animal welfare regulations in the equine industry. So if you own a horse, to put it in English, I'll put it in English now, uh, if you own a horse, um, there's a number of rules you have to comply by for the welfare of that, that, that horse. Um, and it can get very complicated very quickly, uh, depending on uh, what the horse is doing, what it might compete in, what country it's competing in, uh, the rules change. Um, so if you're a trainer and you're racing a horse in France, it's different rules than racing the horse in Ireland, it's different rules racing the horse in the UK. If you're doing equestrian sport, the rules are different. So, and then if there are things like uh, flu outbreaks, so there was a, an equine flu outbreak in 2019, there was a number of regulatory changes in a matter of weeks. So um, essentially uh, horse uh, owners and trainers are quite time strapped. They don't have the time to be going through pages and pages and pages of regulations. Um, so we gave them a platform that basically said, look, if you keep this platform, you put in the information that it requests, you don't have to worry. You will be compliant. You will stay on top of the latest regulations, that come out due to the latest research on how best we can look after our animals. Um, so that's kind of what we do. Um, you come at a time where it's very topical. So I, I read um, in, in the Sunday Times this past weekend, I don't know if you saw it, uh, but a very well-known trainer in Ireland, a guy called Jim Bolger, uh, came out and said that uh, essentially more needs to be done to, to look uh, to tackle uh, doping in horse racing which is a very powerful statement coming from you know one of the best trainers in the country basically saying we need to do more um, as well as uh, there's a horse racing integrity act going through the united states congress at the moment specifically looking at this as well so it is very much at the forefront of people's minds in the the little circle and world that i kind of uh, run in the equine industry um, and essentially, we are trying to provide a platform to help everyone because everyone's in the industry, loves being in the industry because of the animals. And so we want to provide a platform where they can easily know that, yes, 
I'm doing everything I can to look after the well-being of this horse. That's what we do. Well, um, I'm sure you save your clients a lot of time. I'm curious to know, though, what would, if I'm a jockey or if I'm someone who has to uh, make sure I'm dotting all my I's and crossing all my T's, what was... What did the world look like four or five years ago before you guys were around? Um, other than time, what else are you helping them? What other frustrations are you helping kind of disappear for them? Yeah, so this came out of personal need. So I can tell you exactly what it was like because my, my family uh, owns uh, a thoroughbred uh, breeding and racing operation on the Curra yeah. in Kildare, Kildare Fieldhouse Stud. Um, and at the time, uh, once I'd finished my very short-lived uh, professional rugby career, uh, I came back to do a master's in business in Trinity and I'd be down on the farm and I was helping out. Um, someone was sick who was usually keeping on top of this documentation. I said, okay, I have no problem. I'll, I'll help out the best I can. And it was really complicated. And I was going, Oh my Lord, like imagine if, you know, you, you hadn't, uh, you know, finished uh, high school, you hadn't, you know, gone to do a, a third level education and you're now expecting people to basically keep on top of these really complex uh, veterinary regulations. I, I, I just was going, there's gotta be a better way than this. Yeah. And it was a big paper book. So it's a massive paper book that you have to put in all the medical information into. And then all of the information is mixed in from all the horses within the yard. So if I had a horse go and compete in something, I'm having to look through the records of all my horses to basically make sure that he's uh, allowed to compete and is safe to do so. So, you know, I, I, we only had you know, kind of 20, a dozen, two dozen horses. And I was going, how are the professional yards doing it who have hundreds, hundreds of horses? I, I was just going, this has got to be a huge issue. So we did a bit of research. Yeah. We found out, yes, that it was the case. Um, and essentially, I went with my co-founder, Simon Hillary, who I'd known since school, I went to college with. And I went to the various regulators and I said, look, if we raise the funding to build a platform, to basically uh, have a way of recording this information for trainers. Would you deem this compliant instead of the various paperwork that we're given? Now, it took two and a half years of negotiations with the regulatory bodies to get that approval because it hadn't been done before mm -hmm. uh, in the world. So um, it took some time uh, to get it, but then we did. We launched in the middle of 2018 um, and subsequently been approved in the UK, uh, France, and the United States uh, in Kentucky and California. So. Uh, essentially it's not only a time saving but as I said it's keeping on top of these regulations yeah. so when the equine flu outbreak happened uh, the the time schedules of when you had had to have vaccinated your horse before it could go compete completely changed completely changed so it became way stricter uh, because obviously there was a, a pandemic in horses happening so um, people had to know at a click of a button what their horse would be given or else if you go back on twitter people who didn't have our system were going through paper passports and going through hours trying to look through oh is this one okay yeah it's fine is this one okay yeah it's fine and they were manually having to check all this paperwork um whereas our guys were able to just click a button and we really kind of started to scale after that because it was a perfect test case of why do you need a system and it was like well this is this is why Talk about identifying your prospect's pain. You 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 have you have it on your hand. You're given to your hands there. And um, but other than identifying pain, because there's a big thing here with adoption to tech. And you shared a report with me, a McKenzie report that showed that the uh, equestrian industry is. Uh, has been the last to adapt to like digital technology on a graph and featured in the bottom left quadrant, which for those who read quadrants, that's the place that you don't want to be. Um, so was there any pushback from kind of old timers um, or do you have any stories of any pushback of people not willing to adapt or were people just eating this out of your hands once they understood that you could, you, that you take all the boxes for the reg regulatory uh uh, firms yeah so in that mckenzie report um it was actually all of agriculture so it wasn't oh, yeah. only it wasn't <laughs> only the equine industry it was all of agriculture um and it was basically saying um that you know uh, in, in terms of adoption digitization and adoption of technology agriculture uh, was dead last um so uh essentially 
there was a bit of kickback. I won't lie to you. There was, there are some yeah. people who, you know, but that's, that's the same in any innovation. You know, um, if you look at kind of how different initiatives and technology is adopted, you, whichever industry you go in, there's uh, the early adopters and then you kind of move sure. into the general thing. And there's always a lag off of people who, who will be the last people to kind of move. So I, I don't think it was any different. And to be fair, some of our most uh, early adopters uh how do I put it? We're, we're not spring chickens uh, by any <laughs> means. Um, you know, so uh, kind of classic winning trainer, John Ox was one of the very first people to, to support the initiative, even before we had, you know, uh, a product fully launched. So he was oh, testing yeah. with us um, and, and he supported us from the get-go because he understood the pain point um, and he understood like this was the future. Um, and so I don't think it's uh, um, age, uh, especially mm. in, in our industry. It's, it's quite interesting. Sometimes the, some of the people who are most adverse to adopting technology are some of the youngest. Uh, really interesting. I don't know why that may be the case. Yeah, mm. so we, we've had 20-year-olds who, you know, wouldn't like doing things on their phone or on computers. They like the paper. I guess it's kind of, um, you know, w what you're used to. Yeah. But I think the main thing is showing uh the benefits once we were able to show the benefits of people kind of going gosh i have to go through passports for four hours to figure out this information or oh, i have to go through the medical books for four hours to figure out this information and a friend goes oh really oh no i have the f1 medi record platform i i, I just click a button it does it for me mm. that's kind of where you really get the mass adoption because that like <laughs> we we talk about marketing we talk about sales we talk the best thing is a referral from someone oh, you trust. So if, if someone goes and you know that they're doing the exact same job as you and they, you're a friend of theirs and you're going, geez, I hate when I have to go and do all that. And they go, oh, you haven't heard of this new technology? It's really, it just saves me so much time and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Like like even last week, we had someone we, someone we had tried to do some outbound sales with didn't have much luck and we got an email back going oh we've just had someone new come to work for us who used your platform in another training operation and said we need to get it so we'd like to sign up please and i'm going i did speak to you like a year ago but anyway yeah of course <laughs> well, so it just shows technically you, you you only ever need to make one sale and then the rest of it can just be referrals mm, um, it's the hardest sale the yeah. first sale is the hardest one. It is really tough. Once you start to have a nice uh, kind of portfolio of clients that, you know, you can say, oh, well, call X, Y, Z, especially in our industry, it's very, very small. There's, yeah, there's a lot of crossover where they, they know each other. It's one degree of separation and they, oh, who, oh, they use it. Okay, I'll call them next week. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about later on in the podcast, but we'll jump into it now, seeing as we're there. It's we we met at um, what I think is now called the Executive Institute of Ireland, was the Sales Institute, and and you you shared with me the reason you were there was because you wanted to get better at door-to-door uh, -door sales, if I'm not mistaken, knocking mm -hmm. on doors and selling to people. Um, but what I'm hearing from you now is the biggest area of growth for you is just referrals. So what was your original strategy to grow the company to get that first sale? And now are you solely reliant on just referrals? Um, no, I wish we were, uh, <laughs> <but> no, <laughs> no, we still do. We'd still do, um, kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it door to door sales because we're kind of more targeting B2B at this stage. Yeah. So now we built up a kind of a portfolio of, of clients. Um, we're going to organizations. So we had a bit of a shift, um, at the beginning of this year was our first kind of um, commercial contract that we signed. So we signed a, a contract with the Arabian Racing Organization in the UK. So they uh, essentially have every purebred Arabian racehorse in the United Kingdom is a member of theirs. So they wrote into their rules that their members have to keep our system. Nice. So we had, you know, basically a massive uh, influx of clients where instead of having to go and sign up each individual yard, we essentially had like a hundred trainers come on. Um, and, you know, it, it just showed that that's really where we should be focusing our energy because, you know, if we wanted to try and get every trainer uh, in Ireland, the UK and further abroad, and then looking at North America, 
you'd have to have a huge sales team going door to door to try and do this. Um, and so the only other way was to do it by sending it to the uh, organizations and associations. So that's kind of what we've done. So that was our first one we did. And then subsequently, we signed uh, a contract with the Irish um, Welfare and Veterinary Commission, um, which oh, regulates um, a form of racing in Ireland called standard bed racing. So it's a certain breed of horse. Um, and then subsequently into the US with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Association, Thoroughbred Owners of California, and just last uh, last month with the Breeders' Cup World Championships, which wow. is kind of the World Cup for thoroughbred yeah. racing uh, in in the world. So we had horses from Japan and United States, obviously Germany, France, Ireland, UK, you name it, where they had racing. This is where they came because the prize money is the largest. Um, so it was massive as a business to be able to get that. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's a lesson in that itself. You know, when you, when you start a business, both of us have started one and um, there's multiple avenues you can go down personas you can try and target and it can you can easily get distracted by trying to take on six of them whereas if you just focus on one of them it's you're, you're it's much easier to grow and, and far less distractions look on planning one of the other things i wanted to touch on was your top three priorities for the business you mentioned uh, and i have a note here breeders cup is a contract that you we recently won um, I'm wondering, as we exit 2020 and go into 2021, what are your kind of top three priorities? And I'll say that for any of the listeners uh, who want to participate, one of the exercises we do is we get people to pick three priorities and only focus on three so that you can actually measure and uh, tackle the three. And then which each, within each of those three priorities, there's three questions we ask. And the first one is, What's the impact on the organization if you do if you do something? What's the impact if you do nothing? And what's the impact if you're successful? So over to you, Pierce, in terms of what's your three priorities as we go into the new year? Yeah, I, I think from, from our perspective, given kind of the current uh, political climate and how the industry may be affected come, come the 1st of January, unfortunately, with, with, with Brexit, um, yeah. we have focused more and more on growing our business in the United States, um, just because uh, it, it kind of uh, lowers our risk profile. Mm. It's huge in terms of uh, the equine market. It's the largest equine market in the world uh, in terms of horse numbers, almost to the point where it has half the horses of the world, wow. just in the United States. So it is a huge uh, market and there are just so many players. So our, our kind of goals are uh, to continue our expansion there to, to really push forward specifically looking at California um, because they are ones right now who are bringing in a number of regulations uh, for horse owners um, due to some problems they were experiencing last year. Um, so our, our kind of priority is to increase our customer base in California uh, and then expand uh, into more states because these regulations that we deal with are done at a state level. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we need to get approval from the various state government bodies. So we were approved by Californian Horse Racing Board. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would have to be approved by similar boards uh, across the United States. Um, and the good news about the, the CHRB, um, Californian Horse Racing Board, um, was they were very positive about our product. Uh, the executive director, Scott Cheney, came out in support of it, which nice. was big to have you know, the Californian state government, the largest state government in the United States, basically saying this is the way forward. That's we a win. Something like this. So it just gives us huge credibility. Our, our, our thing will be, you know, expansion across the US as well as other international markets in, in Asia. So that's, that's kind of our, our priority at the moment. Nice, nice. Next area I want to focus on is um, positions. So specifically um, for those working with you or partners of, equine med record how do you incentivize people um i think there's a a number of ways so uh, in terms of you know when it with, with if it's partners there's various commission structures that you can look at uh, mutually enforcing so you know there's a lot of complementary kind of systems um you know uh, farm management systems looking at kind of owner invoicing and kind of the day-to-day -day stuff things mm -hmm. that we wouldn't be involved in we're very much focused 
on on the compliance angle and making sure people comply just because you know we have to be focused on that because yeah they're changing a lot and if we get it wrong there's big implications so that's our main focus so we we have a number of partners um who essentially if we make introductions into clients that we have who obviously are pro technology using our technology sometimes it's the first software they've ever used and you know so they'll still be doing paper invoices and paper kind of communications and we go hey have you looked at this farm management software that can automate all the various invoices that you're sending uh, sending out or oh have you looked at this software that mm. you know uh, helps communicate with owners um and so essentially that the way that we incentivize kind of uh working with our partners and our partners working with us is to say obviously that if those referrals occur there's a commission for the referring party. So there is obviously a material benefit. So I think that's really helped. Um, you know, we have amazing partners in the UK really helped us at the beginning um, to get traction there. And they were uh, softwares that the, the the yards had been using for sometimes decades. Um, so it was great to have that nice warm introduction from someone they trusted rather than, oh, here's this new startup business in Ireland you know, who has this new technology, but, you know, should we trust it? It was no, I've been providing you your yard uh, management software for the last 10 years. And I'm telling you this, uh, these guys system is good. You should have nice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the best way where it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is the only way where you can kind of incentivize, uh, you know, partners to, to work with. You got to find those win-wins and it doesn't always have to be commission. You know what I mean? There, there can be other win-wins, um, especially in our industry where you, you can invite them to certain race days if you, you yeah. kind of have access to, to race days or, um, you know, introduce them to, to very uh, high profile jockeys you might know or things like that where it, it, it doesn't cost anything, but it's just we have a shared love of, of the, the equine industry. So, um, you know, we, we've had some times where we've invited our partners to race days. They've invited us to race days. So um it, it kind of builds that, that partnership on another level as well you've got a real passion for the industry person well i grew up on this you know mm. my my family's been involved for at least five generations um wow and you know I, I think everyone who works in it there is something about horses um and you see it now I, i've seen a number of projects one that's backed by the Ireland funds that are using horses to um to help uh, provide therapy for people you know, who have um, certain disabilities and, and they're calming. There is something special about them. Um, and I, I think anyone who's kind of worked in the industry uh, feels that uh, and it feels that, that that kind of not only a responsibility to look after them, but a desire to kind of be in the industry and work with these amazing animals. So, you know, I think it's a responsibility of everyone. Mm. Uh, to try a- and ensure that everything is being done for the do you world. get time do, do you get time to enjoy the uh, big races like the grand national or are you <laughs> still on on a uh, clockwork or, or i call it pay time well the great thing is where i go to some of these events and i really enjoy it but it has a work element because i see my clients mm. you know i was so uh, example i was over at the breeders cup um, for, for the contract and I obviously was working and providing a platform we specifically built for them and one of our first clients in the UK was a trainer called James Fanshawe and he had his first runner at the Breeders Cup and it won nice. and it was just so amazing I went up to him after and I said congratulations and it it was just the greatest because I I'd seen him earlier in the week and I was going oh the very best of luck thank you so much for supporting us I you know I I really hope you win and then he won and I just thought it was a perfect kind of um, segue into what we had been doing and that progression that we're on that our first customer who who supported us now when we get our first contract or first time working with breeders cup he has his first winner it was just perfect synergy yeah um, it's certainly a nice way of nurturing the relationships you have yeah. by attending these events because you because sometimes you might want to switch off but by going to them it's a great way to keep those relationships alive and i'm and, 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 and i'm sure there's referrals that come from them as well when you're at these events and um, next area which is an area that i wanted to focus a bit more than the other two it's, it's people hmm. uh, and, and specifically because 
uh, around the uh, retainment side of things. Look, you're an Irish startup and you're trying to compete with the likes of Google, Microsoft, HubSpot, the big guys for uh, talent and also retaining talent. So um, how do you recruit people first off? Do you uh, use, you know, outsiders, uh, what did I call them? Independent outside uh, consultants um, or are, do they come from referrals from your clients? Like your current staff and, and future staff, how do you recruit people? We do a bit of both. Okay. So when we recruit, we do use um, recruitment agencies as well as referrals from clients. So um, it is a bit of both, but there's a reason like when I first did it, and this was from when I first did it, it was only from referrals. So when we started kind of four and a half years ago, it was kind of asking our clients, we're looking for this um, type of job. Do you know anyone who might be a good fit? Um, and we hired some people who, looking back, probably we shouldn't have. Um, but I was kind of of the mindset going, oh, you know, why do I want to be paying commission to a recruiter? I can just interview the person. I can find out. And it's only once you see the pain of trying to find good people mm. and you go, there's a reason why these firms exist. And yeah. it's because it's hard. It is really hard to find the right fit. It's not that, you know, it's that, that people who've worked for us may just have not had the right skills fit for what we needed. And it wasn't articulated by me because I just had never recruited anyone before. So, um, then, as you kind of said, it's once you find those people, how you hang on to them is another massive problem. Because, as you said, it's great that we have all these multinationals here in Ireland. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and you kind of meet various people and I just share ideas. And if you're looking to kind of partner with various companies uh, to deliver projects or do research, honestly, we're, we're probably the best situated uh, in Europe to do that because of all the multinational organizations we have here but then trying to retain your talent especially when they've proven themselves to be very good at what they do um, you, you've got to try your best to incentivize them through other means bar monetary because you're not going to be able to compete yeah well, be, before we jump into that you know a couple of business owners who i work with across the country you know out west central of ireland as well and um, they've said to me reen the only way that i can compete or even attempt to compete with the giants uh in ireland and find good staff is i have to have a base in dublin they want to stay in westport they want to stay in oh god anywhere you know barna but they've got to move to dublin so that they so they have enough talent to pick from without being without having the physical location in Dublin and 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 that has changed with COVID. They they just don't have the number of people to pick from. I'll give you an example. There was a company in Westport, and uh, they they put up an advertisement, and they got four people applying for the job, of which none of them suited. They moved to Dublin, and they got three hundred people applying for the job, of which only twelve to thirteen suited. But the the reach and the number the the talent pool in Dublin is far greater than small pockets outside of Ireland. So what I wanted to explore with you was, let's say you hired me. I have a passion like you for the industry. What do, is there a, a plan for what the first kind of 30, 60, 90 days look like? Or uh, is it, you have a passion for the industry and it's just, we go to whatever events are there. Yeah, no. So um, I, I would I would challenge a little bit the the I, I'd assume maybe because of there are just more people in Dublin, yeah, it's easier. Um, but in terms of you know some of the best people we've hired have actually been from outside Dublin. Now they were in the what I would call the Dublin belt, the Dublin area, yeah, because yeah, we're we're killed there. Mm. Um, but I, I know having spoken with a, a a number of friends who run businesses, you know, uh, Cork has a very vibrant um, startup. Mm -hmm. ecosystem and has a lot of great people down there so i guess in terms of volume you are correct but i think you can find people um outside and as you said i think especially with with coronavirus and, and digital work in what we do with software um i think you'll start to see more and more people um outside of dublin Definitely. you don't pay the higher uh, the high uh, rent and will locate outside of dublin have good uh, internet connection good wi-fi um so i, I think 
the the model of having to have a presence in Dublin mm -hmm. to, to rent may not be the case anymore. We'll have to wait and see. Fingers crossed. Well, well, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. You're a Kildare man. I'm a Mead man, so fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, in terms of in terms of talent, you, you gotta especially if you're a startup business. I I think you have to have uh, some sort of uh, employee equity scheme. Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it like obviously it vests so it, you wouldn't be giving them any sort of equity early on but that's how you compete with the the likes of the googles and everything else that you sell them in that vision and you go look this is where we are i'm obviously not going to be able to pay you what the googles and the facebooks and all these people can pay you but this is our goal this is our growth this is our pipeline this is our kind of strategy work with us for the next number of years, we will get to the, a place where we'll be able to pay you very well. And But really then what you'll have is equity in this business that you've had a massive role in growing. Um, you won't be a cog in a machine where you, know, you don't really feel like you're providing a lot to the organization as a whole. If you left, would they be easily going to replace you? Whereas in a kind of a, a startup, um, or a small business, you know, you are invaluable to the team and you mm -hmm. have a massive impact on how that business is driven. And then obviously, uh, because we work in, in an equine industry, having people who are passionate about the industry and going, look, you know, we've been so fortunate to work with clients all over the world and travel and be able to go to things like the, the, the Saudi Cup down in Saudi Arabia and then over to Breeders' Cup and you know, here in Ireland, the Irish Derby and over in the UK to Royal Ascot, you know, you're going to be able to go to some of the top events from around the world in the industry that we love, you know, and mm. do you, would you rather do that or would you rather, you know, be in an office working for a Google or a Facebook and everything else? And yes, you get well paid, but at the end of the day, how much impact are you actually delivering? Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of, and some people will go, you know what? I'm very happy. I'll go work with my face. I want to have, you know, uh, the, the security of being part of this massive billion dollar company, even though Facebook at the moment uh, with, with stuff happening in the US, probably not a good example to choose. Uh, but, um, uh, but essentially that they, they would rather do that and kind of have that nine to five, very kind of easier clock out. There's loads of people. So I don't have to worry about clients emailing on a Sunday or calling late at night or early in the morning, I'm fine. Someone else can handle it. Whereas if you want to be part of something where you have an impact and you're actually driving the overall strategy of the business and growing the business. And basically it's kind of like seeing a child grow. You had a tiny baby when we met and it's starting to walk mm -hmm. now and I like now that. Kind of grow up. Um, and that's how I think a lot of entrepreneurs would view their business is this is kind of a journey. Do you want to come and nurture this child? or be part of kind of a, a machine that's already running i like how clear you are in that you know do you want to be part of this 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 journey or part of the, the bigger greater machine and you know, there's nothing wrong with the the uh, wanting the secure job you know i know a lot of friends who have taken that route um it also sounds to me like from when we've previously spoken and what you've said there over the last 90 seconds is that you you kind of tie the corporate goals to their personal goals yeah, no. So that's the other thing. So if someone comes in and goes, you know what, I really want to improve, um, you know, my knowledge of CRM and sales, and I want to come in and really be customer facing, I want to kind of improve my communication skills, I want to, you know, improve my uh, kind of interactions with clients. In a small organization, you can make that happen very quickly, you go, okay, no problem. This is where we can kind of do it, we can work together, uh, we can figure out exactly what you want to improve. You can shadow some of our team who already do that. Um, and we're happy to, whereas it's a lot harder because these large organizations, there's a huge bureaucracy. You might not be able to see the client. They're not mm. able to talk directly with a client. I have friends where they do customer service and they reply, but then their email to the customer actually has to get sent through no. someone who has to reread it before it goes out. So really how much customer <laughs> relations are you actually doing? Because, you know, essentially you never get to see a client a lot of the time mm. um so yeah you can really kind of i i 
find you learn you're just able to learn so much more because you're doing everything you're doing a bit of marketing you're doing a bit of sales you're doing you know overall finance and everything is because it's a small organization you can't have any dead weight everyone's got to put pitch in and sometimes you know there might be more uh customer uh, relations and uh very trying to uh, bugs occurred on the system and you've all got to react and talk with all the clients and obviously because of a small organization you don't have a whole team to do that so everyone's on the phone going look something's happened don't worry we're fixing it it'll be fixed in an hour but you <laughs> essentially it's all hands on deck mm. um so i i think it's very much if it's a learning uh that you're looking for um especially kind of a a holistic learning experience I, I would kind of recommend looking at a scale up looking yeah. at a startup going in um you'll learn a lot more than going into a big organization where you're very focused and you're doing this one task that's all you're doing yeah you're very clear in what you're looking for and i know it all too well and um, before i jump into one of the questions i had for you for the listeners who are listening uh, and looking at hiring one of the things that we have here is a function worksheet where we go through the six things that you should look for in a new hire. If you and then you can rate your hires or your current employees on a scale of one to ten and see where they sit, and then sit down with them and go through company culture and whatnot. I'll leave a link to those worksheets free to download to sit down with your employees and yourself uh, as well if you'd like to access them. Um, but back to the interview, Pierce. Um, I know that feeling all too well, uh, you know, a bit of sales, a bit of marketing, a bit of finance, and uh, ultimately, technically not being able to switch off or, or not knowing when, when something's going to come into your head. You know, I was out for a run on the weekend and all was well, and then all of a sudden the idea comes into your head and it's just you're working through things, the cogs, are the wheels are turning. Um, you mentioned to me in our pre-chat that you've seen, you know, explosive growth year on year for your company, uh, yet... Um, you didn't seem fully satisfied. I'm not saying you're not happy, but you have that relentless drive for more. Why and where does that come from? Well, yeah, I, I think um, like we'll, we'll obviously with, with 2020 and the challenges that it brought, um, mm. <laughs> we were very happy and fortunate that we, we did have growth. We were able to launch into the United States. We, we're able to get our system approved via Zooms, uh, you know, and that brought interesting experiences with it. Um, but, you know, we had planned, obviously, pre the, the pandemic starting that real, a, a lot more kind of growth. Yeah. Um, just a, a little bit of background, and I won't go into too much detail, but we were supposed to speak um, at uh, a conference, uh, which is the American uh, Association for Racing Commissioners International, so the ARCI. Um, they hold a, uh, were supposed to hold, hold a conference in April in New Orleans on uh, equine uh, welfare. And we were one of the, I think, three speakers who were going to speak at it. And this is the one time a year that all the state regulators come into one place. So uh. we were going, here we go. We're going to have the one time of the year where all of the people we need to speak to are in one place and we'll show them the system get it approved by various states even if it's not all of them even if it's some of them say 10 of them and then we'll be able to launch into 10 states you know we'll, we'll we'll scale up our team we'll raise some capital to do so and we'll really have that massive growth um that we're looking for and then of course the pandemic comes in and so that that meeting was supposed to be in april in new orleans it still hasn't been rescheduled um you know so we we had to to kind of do the best with what we could mm. um so as i said we 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 um deployed a system into kentucky um we uh, got approved in california and deployed a system there we did the work with the breeders cup um so we we were fortunate enough that it didn't stop us it's just we didn't have that massive imprint straight away across the united yeah. states one big go that you'd want but that that's that's kind of 2020 for you uh, yeah and i and i shouldn't be saying oh you know or given given some of the struggles that people have had to go through uh, we should we're very very fortunate and, and we're very blessed that we've had the year that we've had but of course given the context you kind of for look sure. 
go, God, you know, when oh, you well, just, you yeah. work, we worked so hard to get to that point and get the invite and get everything and line, line things up. We did a entry strategy. We had investors kind of ready to go and, and then that, it just, but look, that's, that's life. It is. Well, look, every great startup has a number of hiccups and if they, if they push through them, uh, it makes their success story even greater. Well, my question for you though, is that meeting happening in April, 2021? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, please, please God it does. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll be following up uh, in January to find out. Um, but it's, it's something where I think we'll be in an even more powerful position. It might be a blessing because whereas before we had no footprint in the United States and we're going to this meeting and we're saying, look what we've done in Europe. We want to do the same here in the United States. Now we'll be able to go into the meeting and go, well, look what we've done in Europe, but also look what we did while, you know, the pandemic was happening and half the country was in lockdown and everything was happening and it was complete turmoil, but still look what we were able to achieve. Um, and, you know, it, it's something where it actually may be relatively easier to, to, to kind of get to, to, to that, that um, yeah, you will. If, if the dates are correct, you said, what, April this year that, that it was supposed to happen and you got, you successfully signed off on the Breeders' Cup in, what, November? So going into it, if it happens next April, you've got the Breeders' Cup under the, your arm that you didn't have going into this April. So yeah. um, mm. uh, last, last area I want to look at, and I want to just touch on this briefly, was the process. Specifically, you, you seem to be juggling a lot. You make the lives of your clients a lot easier and they no longer have to carry around encyclopedia-sized books with them anymore. But you yourself must juggle a lot of balls from trying to retain top talent to uh, trying to acquire new customers to dealing with curveballs thrown out. You like the coronavirus. If you were to try juggle all those balls with just the memory of your head, you'd probably fail if you're anything like me. How do you keep track of it? Are there go-to system software processes uh, that you've taken from, you know, you said you came up, you reared it up in, in, in the equine industry uh, or, or your specific industry, the agriculture industry was the uh, least tech adopted. What do you use to keep track of everything? Yeah, I think the... The key thing before I get into specific systems is you got to have a good team. You yeah. can't do everything. You For just sure. you physically can't. I understand, and you might look at um, kind of the press now, and it's all Elon Musk, and it's all you know Jeff Bezos. I'm telling you right now, they have amazing teams behind them, and they even say that. And they, you know, when SpaceX does uh, something, it's Elon Musk's first thing is, "Oh, our amazing team at SpaceX and the great work that they put in." they understand that, you know, no one can know everything uh, and no one can think of everything and no one can keep on top of everything. You need a good team. So I'm very fortunate, uh, you know, that I found a great co-founder early on in Simon, uh, Simon Hillary and uh, my COO, who happens also be my brother, uh, Finley Dargan, who joined me, uh, quit his job at KPMG once we started to, to really start to scale and, and, and get customers. So he came on board. So they handle obviously two massive key areas of the business, which is the technology side and the kind of the day-to-day -day operations side. So then obviously from, from my perspective, my, my kind of key things that I have to keep on top of obviously is looking at the overall picture. Uh, I do a lot of the business development, the sales uh, and kind of basic strategy on where we're going and dealing with the various stakeholders. And that's a key thing that we have to deal with just because the equine industry has so many stakeholders. So when we were uh, launching our first product in Ireland, we had to talk with, you know, the, the likes of the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association, uh, Association, the Irish Trainers Association, um, the Irish Department of Agriculture, Veterinary Ireland, Veterinary Council of Ireland, you know, the Irish uh, Welfare and Veterinary Commission. So that's just, and then Horse Sport Ireland from an equestrian point of view. So that's seven different organizations that we had to talk to. So those are really quite important things um, in terms of what we're doing, just because we are a regulatory technology. Um, and I find that you do need a system 
Um, and I think it can depend on the individual. Just personally, the one that I've used that I've kind of used for the business from the beginning, which was a bit suggested from my co-founder, Simon, um, was HubSpot. Mm -hmm. I think HubSpot's a great platform, uh, especially for, uh, you know, a startup in the early stages. It isn't too intensive. And then you can kind of start to add on modules as you grow. Um, and kind of everything that we do uh, would be captured in HubSpot. Uh, mm -hmm. Because you just can't. You can't. You can't remember everything. It's not possible. So, you know, automatically send out tasks to various team members. Um, it'll kind of... Uh, identify if when you're talking with clients what was being discussed and various things so I, I just think you need to have you need to have some sort of system even if it isn't a hubspot even if you still have uh, the paper diaries that you keep everything in you know and you're writing everything into yeah. you, you can't keep it all in your head it's not, not sure. it's not possible you'll miss something you will miss something agree um, and so yeah I just think it's it, it's not so important as in what you have to keep, but have some source of process that you do have so that you don't let things fall through the cracks. For sure, for sure. And, and shout out to HubSpot. They're a, they're an amazing client of ours at the moment. So great to see you using them. I wasn't told to, I wasn't <laughs> told to say that. By yeah, you, not, I promise. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, look, you, you, you obviously use something, regardless whether it's spot or not. The tool really doesn't matter uh, because you've got so much going on and, uh, and it's easy to see why you've been listed in so many different lists. If not, everything that I've discussed hasn't impressed you already. One other thing that I wanted to touch on to end this was you're also the co-founder of Secret Streets Tours. Do you want to spend 30 seconds telling those who might not know what they, that is, what it is? Yeah, sure. So... Um... It's a nonprofit social enterprise uh, that I, I set up with a, a friend of mine called Tom Austin. So um, essentially what it does uh, is it hires people who've been affected by homelessness to be tour guides of their local areas. And what this does is it gives them a platform to tell their story uh, while also developing skills to move on to further employment and independent living. And it really helps the community um, as well as the general public engage uh, on, I, I would say, the pressing social in, uh, issue in Ireland at the moment, which, which is homelessness. And it's only going to get worse because of the pandemic. Only going to get worse. Um, so uh, we started that back at the end of 2018. It was when we did our first tours. We were just uh, named a finalist uh, in the Wheel um, Charity Impact Awards for a small uh, charity. Hey. So um, that was uh, the national, the Wheel is the national uh, body in Ireland. For, for charity organizations we didn't win we were top five unfortunately we didn't we didn't win uh but um it's 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 a great project and i i just think it's something where it affects everyone and we become yeah. a bit numb to it um and just if if people want to take anything away if they see someone who is homeless who, who and they pass them on the just just treat them like a human being say hello yeah you know just ask and just acknowledge that they're there um because a lot of the time when people that we've worked with have their lives turns around it's when someone actually treats them like a human being we're too numb to the fact that we just would walk past them yeah just just kind of and you don't have to i'm even you know you don't have to go and try and solve all their problems because it's not possible all the time people don't have those resources and there are great organizations like dublin simon who we're partnered with who, who provide um various services to the homeless and in Dublin, but just acknowledge them as human beings. Yeah, uh, for sure. And it's been a very powerful uh, project to be involved in. And um, I'm very fortunate that when Tom did a similar uh, walking experience in Vienna, um, he came back and asked if I, I'd be willing to help him start it because I had started my own business with Equine Ready Work. And I said, of course, I'd love to. I love the idea of it. Uh, I was chatting uh, to my girlfriend about it over the weekend because every time we go to a new city, we do those, what they're called free walking tours, but if you have any heart here, you'll give some money at the end of the tour to the person. So I love the idea of it. If I'm not mistaken, there's virtual tours at the moment. So what does that look like? The website, if you want to shout it out, and then like, do I just go on, pick a time, and then I just get told a Zoom kind of story of that area? Exactly. So it's uh, www.secretstreettours.org. 
Um, and so uh, you can book a tour right now, given that we're back in um, uh, level three restrictions. There are in-person ones at the moment. You have to wear a mask, you have to be socially distanced. We adhere to all the government guidelines. Um, uh, I think we had a school out yesterday. So we do a lot with schools uh, and kind of, they, they find it as a great educational uh, tool for their students. So, uh, and we've had great support from, from schools over the years. But yeah, you can book the tours right on the website and find out the times. If we go back into restrictions again, then they go virtual again. So we'll have virtual tours again. And once again, as you said, uh, you'll be sent a link. You simply click the link. And then what they do is they show you various uh, videos and pictures of the tour you would have done. Uh-huh. and explained how that relates to their story uh, and how the, the various things that, just for example, um, one of our guides starts uh, in the Michael Collins uh, barracks and he talks about the history uh, and now that it's a museum, but then he talks out front of the green area in front and that's where he used to sleep when he was homeless and back wow. in the midst of the height of the homelessness crisis following the financial uh, crisis in 08-09, they shut down that whole uh, area as because the, the, the homeless were pitching tents there. So it's just an interesting contrast of what you'd see as a tourist and then the reality of people, you know, who have been homeless in Dublin and what they see. So- I love the idea, obviously in person I prefer to do, but I do love the idea of virtual, especially for those who might live out in Kerry or Cork who who might not come up to Dublin as regularly as myself and yourself who live on the outskirts. We've had, Dublin. we've had schools from uh, Denmark and, uh, wow. and Sweden and various places. Yeah. We had, we had someone call in who was, uh, she was Irish to be fair, but she was calling in from Yemen. Awesome. Well, look, it's, it's, it's fantastic idea. And, and thank you for your time today for, for, for chatting with me. And hopefully those who've listened have, have taken something away from it. Anyone who's listened this podcast, we dive into a number of the 13 blind spots that can otherwise harm a healthy business. You can download the blind spot survey to find out where you rank on a scale of zero to hundred. If your business is in danger and what areas to look at in the comment field below, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or if you're watching it um, and Pierce, I'll include links to your LinkedIn website. Anything else you'd like me to include on in there? No, that's perfect. LinkedIn's a good one. Your growth has been phenomenal regardless. And, and, and I recognize the, the passion you have for it, but also where you want to take it. And I know that you'll do great things. And thank you for your time today. No, thanks for having me, Rian. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby.